I want you to open to 1 Timothy chapter 1, excuse me, 1 Peter chapter number 1. And I'm having a hard time getting out of this section uh, because it's so tightly argumented. Uh, So let's go to verse number 14 as a starting point today. And uh, I won't heavily repeat my teaching in these first few verses before we push into the next part. Peter, you remember, is writing to believers in the northern portion of what we call Turkey today. I think he probably passed through that area uh, sometime in the year 63. And I think he eventually ended up, uh, before the end of 63, at Rome. And then sat down and sent this back uh, to those that he had recently seen or areas close by to where he had recently been. And what's on his mind is Jesus. Jesus, the Lamb of God that has taken away the sin of the world. Jesus, the one who died and rose again. Jesus, who represents the Father's will that those that would repent and believe could be saved and could become part of the family of God and inherit eternity. And so Peter says this, starting in verse 14, As obedient children, do not be conformed to the passions of your former ignorance. So you are now God's children. Don't be like you used to be. Verse 15, But as he who called you is holy, you also be holy in all your conduct. Since it is written, you shall be holy for I am holy. So God wants us to be like him, have his character. Verse 17, if you call on him as father who judges impartially according to each one's deeds, then conduct yourselves with fear throughout the time of your exile. So if you really do believe that God is your father, then you should already know and understand that he is adamantly fair with everyone for how they have comported themselves, behaved themselves during their lifetime. And so because of that, we children of the father need to be respectful of the Father's desire that we be holy as he is holy. Verse 18, knowing that you were ransomed, that means you were bought back from the futile ways inherited from your forefathers. So now he's thinking about the idea that, you know, people of the past misbehaved themselves uh, and uh, some of that got passed down Uh, the line historically, and you guys, the ones that Peter's writing to, you've been ransomed out of that, that sinfulness, not with perishable things like silver or gold, but with the precious blood of Christ, like that of a lamb without blemish or spot. So, silver and gold has a temporal value. It's only valuable here and now. When this world is burned up, 
when it goes out of existence and gets replaced with the new heaven and the new earth. The only thing that's going to be important is our relationship with Jesus Christ. Not how much cash we had back when the world existed. And so we have been redeemed not with temporary things like silver and gold, but with permanent things, specifically the precious blood of Jesus Christ. Because he was the Lamb of God slain before the foundation of the world. That is, this plan has been in place in the Father's mind from before the moment he said, let there be light. He already knew things were going to come apart, and he had a plan. Now, about Jesus, he's in that plan. Verse 20, he was foreknown before the foundation of the world. So he was understood to be the solution to the problem. Jesus, of course, we know was right there at the beginning. He was before the beginning with the Father. And everything was made through him and for him. So he was there. And it was already understood at that moment that he had a mission that would fulfill his name, Yehoshua, he who is salvation. So he was foreknown before the foundation of the world, but was made manifest in the last times for the sake of you. So Jesus was revealed in the first century to fulfill his mission. And the first century people were the first ones that got to know him as Savior. And by extension, through them, we get to know him. Verse 21, who through him are believers in God, who raised him from the dead and gave him glory so that your faith and hope are in God. So God the Father resurrects Jesus from the dead as the climax of the plan. And then he ascends him on high and seats him at the right hand of the glory on high. That's all spoken of here. And that is why we can put our faith and our trust in the atoning death, the glorious bodily resurrection, the glorious ascension, and the glorious second coming that is still on the agenda. And we know that even as we have been redeemed now by the blood of the Lamb, we will be redeemed in our bodies at the second coming of the Lamb. Uh, we will either be resurrected or we will be transformed. Now, because of this reality, there are some expectations of us. Uh, he's already given us the, the broader sense of this, that we should be holy even as God is holy. So verse 22, having purified your souls by your obedience to the truth for a sincere brotherly love. So a chain of events has now begun. We believed in the death and the resurrection of Jesus Christ. And through that belief, we were saved and sanctified and made part of a family. 
And we have a love for that family. That's the brotherly love here. He says, so starting from there, let's move on to this next part. Love one another earnestly from a pure heart. Now, this love one another uh, is the idea of agape again. Uh, We've been talking about this Greek word agape, which has the sense of commitment love. It is the love that God demonstrates toward us uh, in that Jesus died for us, even while we were sinners. So agape is all about sacrificial love. It is a love which does what is best for the other person, regardless of what it might cost oneself. And so, because we're part of the family of God now, redeemed by the blood of the Lamb, we are also supposed to be in love with others. And it's to be genuine. It's supposed to come from this pure heart, from our very core. Uh, Remember, Peter is Jewish, and in the Jewish mindset, the heart was where you made your choices. And so, love is a choice. We love people because that's what God wants us to do. And so, we need to do it from the heart. Verse 23, since you have been born again, not of perishable seed, but of imperishable. Now, we go back again to this contrast between the physical and the real. Uh, We have not been born again like some sort of physical seed was planted in us and it started a brand new life. Instead, we have the Spirit of God that has been planted in us. Salvation has been planted in us and that has borne a great harvest. Since you have been born again, not of perishable seed, but of imperishable, through the living and abiding word of God. Now, uh, Matthew recorded uh, Jesus' parables. And Matthew's been in circulation at the time of of Peter's writing for probably about uh, 20 years. Uh, And so I have no doubt that Peter was well acquainted with, with the gospel uh, accounts of Jesus' uh, parables as a reminder to him even of what Jesus had said in his very presence. And one of the famous parables was the parable of the four soils. And in the parable of the four soils, the seed was the word of God that was implanted in people's hearts. And whether it bore fruit or not was contingent on the soil, because the seed was perfect. The seed was exactly what it needed to be. But how did the soil respond? So here is Peter jumping on that, that, uh, that imagery, and he says, you've been born again because of this word of God that's living inside of you. Now think about uh, some Old Testament uh passages, uh, like Isaiah 40, uh, which is quoted here. Uh, He says, all flesh is like grass. Don't think of uh, the grass that you mow as a nice green carpet in your yard. Think of grasses in vegetation generically. So all flesh is like vegetation. 
and all its glory like the flower of that vegetation. Uh, So vegetation, especially in the springtime, after a nice rain and a warm day, they just pop out with all sorts of flowers everywhere. And that's the imagery from Isaiah. Well, the vegetation withers, and then the flower falls. Uh, So we know the cycle. Uh, Some places in the world, uh, this cycle happens on a couple of days, and that's the end of it. Uh, And it's very stark. Uh, But it's the same thing every time. You suddenly have this burst of, of color and fragrance, and then it's gone. Uh, and so that's what the Isaiah 40 passage is, says that's what it's like to be a human being, a, a, a sinful human being, a human being in this fallen world. You, your glory is just a sudden burst, and then it's gone again. So life is brief. It is short. Uh, it is a vapor uh, that is here and then gone. But... The quotation goes on in verse 25. The word of the Lord remains forever. Now, the word of the Lord here is not specifically focused on the written word of God, but rather the the content of the message itself that is in that written word of God. Uh, It is the, the power of that word. God's word, the energy of what God has said, remains forever in place because it is God's intention. And then he says this after that quote, this word is the good news that was preached to you. That's the gospel. The gospel is God's intent for all people. And that gospel is a call to repent, change the way you think, quit thinking about things in a self-centered, fallen, worldly fashion, and start thinking about things in God's way. That's the idea of repentance. And so chapter number two, remember there's no chapter and verse divisions in the ancient letter. Uh, That's all been added for convenience sake later. So Peter goes on to say, so put away all malice. That's bad attitude toward other people, particularly a selfish bad attitude. So put away all malice, all deceit, you know, trying to, you know, fake people out, uh, twist uh, things around, Uh, in order to get them to do things your way. Uh, And hypocrisy. Hypocrisy, remember, uh, was all about play acting. When Jesus called the Pharisees hypocrite, he was calling them stage performers, actors, carrying out a role. So Peter here says, you need to put that sort of role playing behind you. You need to be real. And envy, envy is where you um, feel badly toward others because of what they're getting that you don't have, or something along that line. 
Uh, it's very much related to, to the idea of jealousy in our minds. Uh, and, and it's bad attitude. Shouldn't be there. And all slander. Slander is when you talk people down, when you say nasty things about other people. And he says, all this needs to be gone. That's part of repentance. It is part of being holy as God is holy. And instead of that sort of garbage, this is what you should have. Verse 2, like newborn infants long for the pure spiritual milk that by it you may grow into salvation. Now, when a, a baby is born, it has a very strong uh, desire to drink the mother's milk uh, because God's programmed that in there. The baby needs that nutrition, that intake in order to grow up. And the same is true for us that are born again uh, with this seed of God in us. We need more of God's word. We need more of God's message so that we can become mature, can become strong, and know God's word well. And that is part of the reason that we offer things like sermons and Sunday school classes and Wednesday night classes and Sunday night classes and studies like this on the radio or TV or in book studies and small group studies is because people need spiritual food. And that food needs to be the Word of God, the nutritious Word of God. And verse 3, if indeed you have tasted that the Lord is good. You know how it is. Uh, if you go to a place uh, that is trying to get you to come in and eat their full menu or buy something uh, from them uh, completely, what do they do? They give you a little taste of it, don't they? They give you a little sample. And so that is what's going on here is that we've had a little taste of God through what has already happened to us. And once we get that taste, we want more. Uh, it's one of my goals whenever I'm preaching and teaching to be able to hear people say, I want more. <laughs> I couldn't, I love hearing this after I've preached or taught. Oh my goodness, you're done? I, 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 I the time just flew by. I wanted more. And that's what we want. When we preach and teach the Word of God, people should want more. Uh, I think about um, Peter, excuse me, Paul, when he went to uh, one particular synagogue. I don't remember which city it was in. But when he got done, the people begged him to come back the next Sabbath and tell them more. And so that's, that's what we want for people. And so I hope you, Christian, or you, seeker of the Word of God, want some more. Because here it comes. Verse number four. As you come to him, that's Jesus, a living stone rejected by men in the sight of God, chosen and precious... Now, he's developing here 
a um, play on some Old Testament passages, which he will get to. We won't get to it today, probably in its detail. Uh, but he is playing on this idea that when you build a building, you use stone very often as building material. That was particularly true uh, for the temple building. When the temple building was built by Solomon, it was built in a, uh, a modular fashion, I suppose, where everything was uh, shaped and formed off-site, uh, put together, made sure that it fit properly, and then marked as being uh, the stone for a specific place in the temple structure. Uh, and what happened is that uh, when all those marked stones came up to the temple, one stone arrived where the marking had been rubbed off or something, and uh, the builders looked at it and said, well, we don't know where this goes. It's, it's, it's not part of the plan. And so they rejected it, and they threw it off to one side. And since it took several years for the temple to be built, weeds grew up around it. And people would trip over it or run up against it. Uh, and uh, it became a problem to them. Uh, and some people even joked it became the stone of many names. Well, that's the idea here of a stone that ends up being rejected by men, but it was always the stone that God intended to be put in place. Uh, because that stone that was rejected, and you see this mentioned in Psalm 118, ends up being the stone of the corner, uh, the, not the bottom of the corner, but the top of the corner. It was the final stone to be put in place in the building of the temple uh, that would dedicate the building to use. It would show that the building was finished. Um, these cornerstones, these top cornerstones would often have writings or symbols on them. Uh, to show uh, that it was significant uh, for the, the finishing of the product. And so this is Jesus. And that's what Paul, excuse me, that's what Peter is developing here, is this whole idea that Jesus, rejected by man, but chosen by God. But it's not just him. It's us. Verse number five, you yourselves like living stones, are being built into a spiritual house. So we are building material as well. Uh, Jesus came to build God's temple. Not a physical temple, mind you, but rather a people temple. A temple made up of all the different people that would put their faith and trust in him and become part of the family of God. And so Peter is the one that really develops this more. Uh, Paul had kind of mentioned this, but he says, you guys, all you people who are believers, you are like living stones, and you're being assembled into this spiritual building, this spiritual house. The word house is often used as the word for temple in uh, Jewish parlance. 
and you're going to become a holy priesthood. Now, he mixes his metaphors, which was never a problem in the first century writings. We're the ones that have problems with mixed metaphors. Uh, So he goes from a spiritual house to a holy priesthood. And what do priesthoods do? Well, they work for God, connecting the people with God. So he says, you guys are a spiritual house. You are a holy priesthood to offer spiritual sacrifices acceptable to God through Jesus Christ. So we Christians, we are priests of God helping people to find Jesus Christ so that they can participate in his sacrificial death and his glorious resurrection so that they could become part of this same priesthood. It's interesting that in uh, the ancient practice of Jewish Jewish priesthood, uh, you became a priest by having a sacrifice offered on your behalf. The blood of it was was put on your your earlobe and your big uh, uh, toe and on your thumb. And all these were symbolic that by this sacrifice offered on your behalf, you were now becoming the marked person of God, marked by blood. Uh, You were saved and sanctified now, and now you were dedicated to doing his work to help other people come into that same relationship. So it's just an ongoing recruitment drive. We who are priests of God now are trying to recruit priests for later.